the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we dive into all things nutrition, fitness, and health related. I'm your host, Brandon Woolley, joined by my co-host and producer, Joe. Hello. Today, our guest is Kenny Ragsdale. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. My journey started in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and so I was born and raised. I come from a long-standing military family. My dad, World War II vet. I have three older brothers. All of them serve. My uh, oldest brother, Vietnam vet. By the time that I was a junior in high school, believe it or not, I had already signed up and enlisted uh, to go into the Army. Uh, back in the, Way back in the day, this is 1989, uh, the Army had this program. It's called the Delayed Entry Program. If you met all the requirements and all the prerequisites, you could actually sign up. And the only thing that I was holding on was to graduate from high school. Oh, wow. We went off to the Army. I did a total of 28 years. I had an awesome time. I would do every year over again uh, without hesitation. I started my career out as an enlisted soldier. So I went from the lowest possible rank and I finished my career as a major. So I retired June of 2017. I was wondering, well, what's next for me? <laughs> what, what, what am I going to do? I spent uh, all of my adult life in an organization uh, that I'm leaving. And um, I just, for a while, really wasn't sure what was next. I've always had this entrepreneurial ambition, you know, just always it was burning inside of me from the time I was a kid. My dad was huge in the real estate and I uh, worked for him. Myself and a, uh, a childhood neighborhood buddy, we uh, printed up business cards. I don't know if I'm going to date myself a little bit here on the Commodore 64. Oh, wow. oh yeah. I remember <laughs> yeah. You guys remember that? Uh-huh. I had that great race car game on there that you could barely tell was a race car game. Yeah. <laughs> We printed up business cards and we had a year round hustle probably for about three or four years. Every season of the year, we had some type of entrepreneurial hustle. Like leaf raking, lawn mowing, all that good kind of stuff. Exactly. And it it turned out to be really good. We had regular customers, return customers every year. So uh, long story short, probably about a year before I retired from the Army, I saw the writing on the wall. I started really doing some soul searching and thinking, you know, do I want to go into the corporate world? I had some really solid offers. I had a buddy that wanted me to come up to the Pentagon and uh, work there. But after spending all of my adult life, you know, doing what I did, I really wanted to do something that, you know, I controlled my strings and pretty much dictated how my day went. Now, do you think that's normal or abnormal? Because I know a lot of people, when they leave the military, they like to having uh, you know, a sense of purpose and duty and everything lined out, and it's hard for them to leave. So for you, it's almost the opposite. To your point, I think that is typical. Uh, in fact, I have a lot of buddies that have recently retired. And they went and worked like on different installations like Fort Bragg. And, you know, basically they're doing the same job, but they they put on khakis instead of camo. And I think it's just that sense of brotherhood, that sense of belonging. It just becomes a part of who you are to be able to continue to do that in your extended, you know, life and in your work period. I mean, some people really see that it's just uh, a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much me, though. I I really wanted to break out and do something different. Again, I love my career. I had a very rewarding and successful career. But again, I I needed to uh, to scratch that itch. So there's your first uh, transformation already, what, five minutes into the episode. So So that's awesome. Now, so you left the military. You 
did you right away go, Hey, I want to do something with strength training and, and have you, did you get into bodybuilding already at this point? Just by virtue of, you know, being in the military and having to remain fit to fight and having done it for so long, fitness was pretty much just second nature for me. It was something I excelled in and so much so during my enlisted time, I actually became a personal trainer for the army. Uh-oh. Yeah. So the army has this school that they'll send, you know, soldiers to, and it's called master fitness training. I think, I believe it's like three or four weeks long. It had all these different specialists there, nutritionists, dietitians, sports physiologists, et cetera. And you would go through three or four weeks of very intense in-person education. And you had to demonstrate your knowledge level of fitness and that you could actually write programs, not only for individuals, but for groups. So then essentially you went back to your unit of assignment and you were the personal trainer for that unit. So I wrote all of the programs, all the fitness programs. I helped with uh, nutrition. Of course, I wasn't a nutritionist or a dietitian, so I couldn't do like meal plans, et cetera. Uh, But I could give some really good guidance for the average soldier to kind of get their weight or whatever under control. And of course, they had a whole lot more to lose because if they couldn't meet the physical or fitness standards, they lost their career. Right. Yeah. How often did that happen, you know, oh, percentage-wise? Wow. More often than not. I'm not really sure in terms of numbers, but I just know what I saw in the in the units that I were, was in and it was a part of. Well, I would say within a year, we would probably lose a dozen a dozen soldiers. For, and, I, and a lot of the beginning parts of my career was helping people who weren't already enlisted that, but wanted to make the cut for Marines and special forces and stuff like that. And they go by what BMI, right? Yes. That is a huge yeah. part. Yep. Body fat percentage as well. Oh, they do do that now. That's well, great absolutely. to hear. I'm, yes. I'm happy to hear that. Yes. So how did the training compare to, I don't know if you're familiar with a civilian training job. You do something like national Academy of sports medicine as your cert. How do you think their training methodology compares with, with some of what else is out there, like ACE, things like that? I went to the uh, that master fitness training so long ago. However, I, ha- I do have a uh, civilian cert. Uh, it's through Action Organization. Uh, comparing the two, so much has changed uh, since then. We're talking uh, early 90s when I actually went. Uh, and then I just recently got the cert when I retired in 2017. If you can imagine just from within, you know, the last five years, I mean, one, one year it's great to eat the yolk. The next year <laughs> the yolk is like death. <laughs> yeah. It's going to make you fat. Get away from it. So. Yeah, there's a lot of nonsense out there. It's tough to sift through it all. Yes. But before I go too far down that, that rabbit hole and, and we get on to, to your career post-military, do you have uh, one or two just incredible stories or anecdotes from, from your time in the, in the military? Absolutely. <laughs> I can remember a, a young soldier uh, career was on the line. And I mean, this kid really wanted to serve, you know, kind of came from a family like mine. You know, he came to me and he was at the time again, I was enlisted and he was like, Sergeant, you know, I, I really need some help. I have one more chance to take the Army physical fitness test. And if I don't make it, I'm going to be separated from the military. This is all I have. I need this for my family. You know, this, that, and the other, my dad and my grandfather. He just gave me his whole story. By the time the kid got to the end of the story, I mean, he's bawling, right? I'm like, and I feel for him because I got it. This is his livelihood and his dream, et cetera. So I worked with him probably for 90 days. We got him fit to fight, got him up to par. He passed his AP, not just passed it, but he did the best that he had ever done. And the kid... His mom, uh, his wife all came to the unit to meet me and all of them were all bawling and in tears and thanking me. And I'm like, you know, I just did my job, but I got it. It was things like that that really helped me to make my decision when I got out, what was what I was going to do. 
So, I mean, I, and I have, I mean, literally countless stories like that, not only from when I was in, but even today, maybe not as dramatic, but yeah, yeah. very touching. Now, on the other side of things, you know, I always think of that movie Major Pain or like Forrest Gump. <laughs> Did you ever have some like ridiculous punishment, like scrubbing floors with toothbrushes or, or run around till I puke or? So I'll, I'll obviously admit names. I'll just kind of give, you know, broad strokes here. <laughs> so uh, we were downrange, you know, Baghdad, Iraq. This was uh, 2009, 2010, and I was company commander. One thing I just could not absolutely tolerate were adults that refused to do the right thing, particularly when we were in an environment where we could not come back. I had a couple of soldiers, male soldiers, that were not providing for home. They were deployed, and the word got back to me through my battalion commander in a not-so-friendly way. Uh, it was a one-way conversation that I have a couple of soldiers, and I would just leave it at that, how they were referred to, that have absolutely refused to provide for their families back here in the States. So what I did was I totally maxed them out on everything that I could max them out on, extra duty restrictions. And there, it, for anybody that's you know, ever been deployed and been in the barracks, you can't keep dust away. So they dusted literally the entire barracks every hour on the hour from sunup to sundown. Their punishments with their names and socials blocked out. I had a, a board, a huge board right outside my office. It was called the Hall of Shame. <laughs> and I would post every disciplinary action that I had to take while I was there as a deterrent to just let people know this is serious. So if you do something stupid, you're going to end up on a Hall of Shame. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you have anything like that in your gym now? <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't know if that's the best way to keep clients. <laughs> That's awesome. Follow people around the restaurants, eating bad stuff, <laughs> take a picture. <laughs> that would be great. All right. So, so you finished your military career and what was the first thing that got you into starting your own business? I actually have an MBA. So I already, you know, pretty much had some of the base fundamentals of what I needed, you know, to know to kind of get started and, and, and get things launched. But essentially what I did was I used a lot of the methodology that I used as a planner you know, in the military. That's one of the jobs that I held the longest was an operations officer. It was, I was a planner. That's what I did. Allocated resources. I forecasted resources and pulled together people and teams. And we looked at the mission and I wrote a plan. And, you know, of course, I didn't do it in a vacuum. I had other people input, a really solid team. Uh, we took that plan and we vetted it. And once we got a final product, we staffed it and we executed it. So I took that same approach in looking at what was the best way for me to start this business. So I started out by just doing nothing but research. You know, what were the, the top reasons that health clubs failed? You know, what would I need to do to be an effective trainer, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I looked for local gyms that, you know, around the size that I was looking for, not a big franchise like, you know, Lifetime or Planet Fitness, although they're killing it, but that was way too big for what I was looking for. So I found a couple of other local gym owners and I reached out to them and I said, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Can I come out and shadow you for maybe three or four days? Surprisingly, I didn't get but one turn down. Everybody you know, allowed me to come out. And this was probably about a half a dozen places. I went out. I sat with some people. I shadowed them. I took copious notes. And I really learned. And, and in doing so, it, it saved me thousands of dollars just picking their brains and them giving me tips. So that was very helpful as well. Yeah. Took all of that information. I went back with what I had read and researched, and I just wrote a plan. I used the Army's five-paragraph op order. 
situation, mission, execution, service and support. I took it and I used that that methodology and I wrote my business plan. Wow. Yeah. Now, what do you think is some of the main reasons gyms do fail? Simply put, if your personal training program fails, your health club's going to fail, hands down. Because you're not engaging the members, you're not helping people see results. Well, not only that, but the training program is where the real money comes into a health club. I mean, memberships are great, but you're not going to survive like Planet Fitness on $10 a month. Now, granted, their strategy, rather, is kind of to get as many as they can on board. And obviously, they did it to my gym as well. People forget they have the membership, so... After so many, I mean, you know, you're doing well. You don't really have to provide service, but for a handful of people, but you're still collecting that money. Most gyms are not that lucky, and they really need that personal training program to bring in that additional revenue. That makes sense. Is the gym industry, like other industries now, suffering like a race to the bottom? Like you can join. I got an ad, a flyer the other day that said I could join for a dollar. I think it depends on the franchise. Like Lifetime's the opposite end of the spectrum. They're like a premium club that caters to a premium clientele, and they do a lot of research on demographics before they plant something. Mm -hmm. So so I think it just depends on the franchise. Uh, What do you think? No, I would definitely agree. I'm a member at Lifetime. I've been a member at uh, Fitness Connection. They actually usually raise their rates annually. Um, especially if they add any extras to the club, even if something like adding razors in the showers, <laughs> they're going to up the... Do you guys think that there's any like psychology behind... I have often wondered when I, I was a member of Lifetime before, and it's a big fee for my family. The pool was great. I started swimming. I liked it. It's, uh, it's a beautiful facility, right? And it was a good chunk of money. And then I would feel guilty if I wasn't using it. Whereas yeah. like if I joined the place across the street over here that's $14 a month, really nice. They got showers, they got all the equipment, they got everything you need, but I wouldn't think twice about not working out for $14 a month. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Well, well, and that was a big sell, at least when I was a trainer, was if you're going to pay me this much money, mm-hmm. you're going to do the work. And yeah. that actually helped keep them accountable. So I, I would agree. But what are your thoughts on that? No, most definitely. Yes. If you're going to pay that amount of money, you're definitely going to make sure you're getting some kind of benefit from it. Yeah. yeah be foolish not to. Yeah, but I never thought about that being their, their strategy, just as many signups as possible, knowing I won't have to service that. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. I think it's a testament to how cool small business owners are, that they let you shadow them around and told you what was going on. Whereas if you found a larger gym, it's proprietary information. They can't really tell you about that. They probably wouldn't even let you shadow anybody because of liability issues. Yeah. It's just one of the cool flexibilities that small business owners have is they get to help other people out like that. Absolutely. And I definitely did the same. I had people reach out to me and have my health club open and I would definitely bring them out, carve out some time and sit with them and just share whatever I could with them. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I want to get into the bodybuilding stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. This guy, you make you make Terry Crews look like he needs to hit the gym, man. <laughs> it's, it's pretty absurd. I think your bicep is going to pop. <laughs> I've been at it for, uh, for a long time. Is there a balloon in there? Or is that, that's, your, that's your real bicep. That's all me, sir. Oh, my gosh. So when did this start, the bodybuilding? This is post-military? No, I actually did my first show at uh, age 44, so I'm 48 now. So I did my first show just a couple of years before I retired. Yeah. And it's something that I always wanted to do, but I had people get in my head and tell me that I had such a symmetrical imbalance that I would not be able to be successful on stage. And I'd allow that to keep me off stage for years. And, you know, one day I just said, you know what? I said, I'm just going to give it 
everything I have. I took a year and I trained like an absolute wild man. Yeah. And I went hard. I studied. And I mean, I already knew fitness and nutrition. But preparing for the stage, it takes a total, totally different commitment in every area, just mentally, physically, emotionally. If your family's not on board, you, it's, you're going to struggle because it is an all or nothing sport. You know, everybody has to be on board. And, you know, my wife, bless her heart, you know, we're going out to eat and we're at a nice restaurant and I'm bringing in my lunchbox. <laughs> so yep. She's like, what is this? But, she, you know, after a while she got used to it. But that's the level of commitment that wow. you have to have. You can't miss meals. So I'm all, I always have something close by to eat to make sure that I stay on my regiment with my calorie intake, et cetera. I think it's hard for a lot of people to even uh, imagine what that kind of lifestyle would be like. You know, the closest thing I've ever done was training for marathons, but oh, that's pretty intense also. But at least I can shut that off when the run's done and I'm done stretching. But but bodybuilding, it's every macro, every calorie, every second, every rep. It's just it's all in or nothing. Absolutely. Now, are there times where you felt like uh, quitting? Oh yes, no doubt. I mean, just to be a bit transparent, uh, I did my last show last year, last November. OCB. It was the Battle of the Unrivaled, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And uh, I switched categories. Uh, you know, you have bodybuilding. That's essentially where you wear the Speedo. And then they have this fairly new uh, category. It's classic physique. That's where you wear the black midriff shorts. They come mid-thigh. And then you have physique. And that's the boogie board, of, you know, the beach shorts. So I dropped down a class because trying to make, I'm an ectomorph, an ectomorph. You know, you have the endomorph. Mesomorph and ectomorph. Ectomorph is me. I'm a long, tall, skinny guy, and it takes an act of Congress to put on, you know, lean muscle mass. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been successful at it, but again, that's just through study, a lot of hard work, and a period of time. So I dropped down a class because I thought I would be more successful. And in doing that, man, it it proved to be (laughs) a little bit more challenging, just kind of having to learn a whole new craft. It kind of, and I kind of made a, it was a bit abrupt when I made the change. It was kind of last minute. So I had to kind of jump through some hoops or whatever. But anyway, I mean, I I did fairly well. It's funny for me to think about symmetry. Like if somebody's jacked, I'm not looking at symmetry. I'm like, oh my God, that guy has amazing muscles and he's lean. So how, you know, how symmetrical does it have to be? It's not about just being huge and having a lot of muscle mass. That's where the difference, you know, is made between somebody that lifts weights, you know, and just large and muscular and somebody that's a bodybuilder. I mean, you have to really pay attention to the various muscles. You know, give you an example, you know, you may have a big bicep. It may be very wide, but the peak is not there. So you have to focus on the exercises that will give you not only the width and thickness, but as well as the height and the peak. It's so funny because everybody has a dominant side and it's very obvious the people that did not do their due diligence to dial in their symmetry. When you do that front double bicep, if one bicep is much taller than the other, you lose points for that. Now, there's a lot of debate, you know, what's better, uh, machines or free weights. Do you think it's easier to sculpt and fix symmetry with with machines where you can isolate more, or do you think it's easier to do with free weights where you can do more unilateral? Not at all. I think that it really, everybody's different. You know, one size does not fit all. You know, everybody's body responds to, you know, you and I, we could do the exact same exercise for five months, the same regimen, and each of our bodies will respond differently. So I think as an individual, if, you know, your aspiration is to be on stage and to get your body and your symmetry dialed in, you have to experiment. And that's what I tell a lot of my clients now. They want me to give them the magic answer. And I'm like, 
and it doesn't work that way. I can tell you what worked for me and what worked for previous clients and what maybe the fitness bodybuilding 101 rule you can look up on bodybuilding.com may say, but that's not saying that it's going to help you be successful. Right. So maybe start there, but then start experimenting to find out what's going to get you there. Now, I, I know very little about the sport. It's not, it was never an interest of mine. I've always respected it. But I did want to ask you specifically about Mike Menser's approach. I just happened to finish uh, reading his, uh, you know, a couple of his lectures. And he's one of the few to beat Arnold at Mr. Universe. He trained Dorian Yates and a bunch of other people. But so his point, at least from the lectures, was this idea of three and four hour workouts and all this was really designed to be used in coordination with steroids to, because steroids help with recovery. And what he advocated for instead mm-hmm. was 20 minute all out effort sets, just 20 minutes every four to seven days. And he would have people put on 40, 50 pounds of muscle following this. Have you heard of this? Is this something you've considered or read up on? And how does that compare to the approach you used? No, I, I have not. Uh, I've not heard of that, of that methodology or that style of training. And again, the, the my approach is it depends on the individual. Now, I don't think that I would ever uh, use a 20 minute all in session, even if I'm doing like a rush uh, workout, the minimum is going to be 45 minutes. Uh, a typical workout for me or a client is going to be a minimum of an hour, uh, anywhere upwards to two hours if you include core and cardio. Some people split that. I have some of my clients split it because, you know, the way, they body, the, the way their body responds. I may have them do, and then not only that, but what their current level of fitness is. I may need them to do fasted cardio in the morning and then do their weight training in the evening because they're going to benefit from it better. I need them to be at a fasted state when they're doing that cardio to try to reduce that muscle mass, particularly when I'm trying that muscle mass, but reduce that body fat, particularly when I'm trying to lean them out. And I want them to work out. Let's just say it's a leg day. Well, I want them to have, I want them to be carved up because leg day is very grueling. You go into a leg day workout, you know, eight, nine sets of squats on an empty stomach, you won't make it through half of that. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's interesting because depending on what your goals are and your training style, you know, I would, oftentimes I would advocate for, for my clients, especially if they're like moms and things like that. You know, if you want to burn fat and that's your primary concern, I don't want you to carb up right before your workout because right. your body may choose that. But with bodybuilding, the intensity, the amount of weight, you need that. And what we're trying to do is be able to push more weight to tear into more muscle fiber. Absolutely. So then it recovers. So, so there is no one size fits all approach. No. And that's, it just kind of dawned on me when you mentioned that there, Hey, there is an application for all of that. And, and for those types of intense workouts, I, I think it would be beneficial to have a full tank. Some workouts are so intense to your point when I'm midway through, I'm snacking on a protein bar or something just because I fully exhausted and depleted whatever I had in the tank before I started. That's incredible. Completely different style of training than, than I think I've, I've ever delved into. I mean, that takes a special kind of person. <laughs> I appreciate it. Whatever approach you're working is clearly working. Um, Thank you. I mean, you look, you look amazing. What are some of the barriers and, and, and things the clients you've worked with may have as to staying consistent with a regimen? The biggest, or I'll probably say the number one complaint that I get or reason or justification or whatever, how you want to refer to it, is time, lack of time. So I work with a lot of people that are in corporate America, attorneys, et cetera, and uh, they just have very little time, not, no, not so much the time that they have committed to coming in for the session. It's the in-between sessions that I, you know, the clients really struggle not just with actually doing their own workout, but the nutrition is the number one issue that I have with keeping clients on point. 
Yeah. Now, what is your solution for those clients? Did you end up uh, doing more nutritional certifications or do you I actually did work do with that. a network? Yeah. I do that. And I also have a, uh, a nutritionist that I actually, she actually just became a client. And uh, so I refer people to her. And now I do, now that she's a, an onboard resource and uh, very smart. She's, uh, I've been working with a lady. We've had great success. I actually feature on my website and we've lost over 40 pounds. We've reduced her inches in terms of hips and waist at least seven inches. Wow. Uh, thighs, That's three half inches. Your no, not even half. <laughs> so you want to talk about a transformation. I mean, she has really just made a huge transformation, but we hit a plateau. And I've been trying all the different things that I that I typically do. I've adjusted her macros. I've increased her cardio. We've gone back to doing fasted cardio, et cetera. And we just, we hit this wall and we were just, you know, making very, very, very minuscule you know, progress. So in talking with the other nutritionist, she made a recommendation of something that I have just really been uh, reluctant to delve into and embrace. And that's intermittent fasting. Yeah. yeah so that's very popular now, just as, as keto is as well. And I've been, I'm kind of old school. I've just totally shunned that. And I've been of the mindset that. All you need is a good, well-rounded diet. Get your caloric intake and your macros dialed in to what your goal is, et cetera, and you can be successful. Well, I've reached a point, at least with one client, where that has not necessarily been the case. It's gotten us to a point, again, we've had great success, but her first recommendation was, has she tried intermittent, or question, has she tried intermittent fasting? So I've began some some cursory research on intermittent fasting. I can't say that I'm I'm, I'm a believer. I'm not on board yet, but it has piqued my interest because again, she the the nutritionist, her name is actually Heather. Really, she swears by it and has just I don't know. She she has she's got my interest. Yeah, I think for the right person, it's a good approach. Now, if they have issues with you know hyperreactive glycemia or something, it's yes. probably a terrible approach. Absolutely. But, but I think there are a lot of people would benefit from it. Not everybody. Some of the benefits of closing down that window and having longer periods of fasting is the the body does a better job of getting rid of cancer cells yes. through a process called autophagy. I think it can help control blood sugar better, eliminate toxins. Yeah, eliminate toxins. And then also, especially if you cut off your eating time three hours before bed, more of your blood flow can go towards the glymphatic uh, system in the brain, which we talk, we'll talk about on the, the stress and sleep episode coming out. Uh, awesome. So that, that's what gets rid of beta amyloid plaque buildup that, that causes Alzheimer's dementia and, and memory loss. Because if you eat too close to bedtime, uh, a lot of that blood's diverted to digestion and you miss out on all those restorative properties. Uh, so so I, I think there are a lot of benefits to it, but it should be approached with caution. It's not right for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. I like your approach. I think so many people approach things like, I just want the formula. Yes. I see that all the time, like in my business, just different uh, variables, basically. Just tell me exactly the things I need to do. Yep. But so many things in life are like, well, if you act like that, per you're not that person. Yep. Uh, you don't get the same results that person gets because of, in my space, it's less about the body and the chemistry of the body, but more about like your personality. Like you can't exactly act like this person because they have a completely different personality than you, so they're going to get different results by right. acting this way. Yeah, like Absolutely. if I just if I just started like swearing up a storm like Joe Rogan, <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> like I'm a little vulgar, but it probably wouldn't work for me. Not so, so much. 
One of the things I really like on your on your website, uh, Frontline Fitness, is you do these client success stories, and you basically put together like a little piece for them to share on social media. I imagine and yes. encourage, like, hey, this is this is what's going on. These are the changes, and you got before and after pictures and a little bit of video. Absolutely. And uh, there's one woman on there, Sean. Is that how you pronounce her name? Yes. Man, it's a great before and after picture, and then the after picture is her competing in a bodybuilding thing. Yes, that is a fantastic story, Sean. <laughs> she was she's an awesome person. She came to me and she said, I have a goal that, and she was age 49 at the time. She says, I want to compete by the time that I am 50 years old. I want to be stage ready. And she said, can you help me? You know, I'm looking at her and we had some work to do. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, don't bite off more than what you can chew. I mean, she was really serious about this. This was her goal. This was, you know, a bucket list dream type item. I made the commitment, first made sure that I had her full buy-in, her full commitment, and uh, did all, you know, she checked all the blocks, et cetera. And I uh, said, okay, well, we're going to get started. And she jumped in with both feet. She worked so hard. Uh, and initially, it was a little bit tough. You mean, the the results came a little bit slow, but eventually, as you can see there, yeah, on the picture there, oh, wow. she got on stage. It's a year. Yeah, and she did well. <laughs> Talk about a transformation. That's amazing. She, yeah, she essentially, guys, she gave up a year of her life to make that transformation to going from what you see uh, to being a physique female bodybuilder. She was so proud. I mean, I, I think half the audience was somebody in her family or uh, work or something. And she had a whole entourage. She was so happy. And everybody was so proud of her, to include myself. Uh-huh. Do you have a lot of your uh, clientele want to pursue bodybuilding or is that just a portion? So yeah, small portion. I do, I get a lot of inquiries, but when I have that heart to heart with them and really kind of lay out what it entails and the requirement and the commitment, then I have a lot of people say, well, maybe not. Let's just start with the personal training and see what kind of results we get. Yeah. And then we'll visit that down the road. And very few people ever get to it. What kind of commitment are you talking about for bodybuilding? Like at, a, at that kind of level, like if you came into it with her mindset, that what did that year look like for her? That year, really, she became married to the gym. I mean, literally, we were doing two a days in, in some instances for a period of time uh, to really get her body fat percentage down where it needed to be. Again, at, at our age, because she essentially was my age, you know, when she right before she started training, you know, she was 49 years old. We don't bounce back as quickly <laughs> as we used to <laughs> when we were in our early 20s or whatever. So that the recovery, you have to be very intentional about that. Nutrition is important for anyone, but when you get to that stage in life, it's even more important. And just counting calories, measuring food. And th- it, that is a full-time job. And, I mean, she's a, she's a high up in the corporate world, has a very important position, and didn't have a lot of time to spare. And uh, very demanding, and I really enjoyed working with her. To, you know, it's always interesting when you start working with a new client because you always go through that whole integration and getting that rapport established, and you're trying to learn each other, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I learned about Sean up front was she means what she says, she says what she means, and she is prompt, and she expects the same out of you. And which was good because after 28 years in the military, I expected the same. So we hit it <laughs> off well yeah. <laughs> after a few clashes. But, you know, just to kind of further, ex- you know, expound on your question, I mean, literally seven days a week, she was doing something to prepare to get on stage. Yeah. Yes. How did you get recovery into that kind of schedule? Well, again, you have to be very, very intentional. And she literally had to make a schedule. 
I mean, if you don't put it on your calendar, it's, it's to that point. I'm at that point as well, where if I don't actually put my workout on my calendar when I'm filling it, you know, with clients, I've had some days where I've actually blocked out my workout and it's like, you know, I'm getting home and it's eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, man, I need to get a workout in. And I'm looking at my wife and she's looking at me like, I'm sorry, it's my time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you are not getting yes. workout in. So it's like, well, yeah. So she had to be very intentional. She had to be, you had to really plan it. And, that, and that's really the advice that I give for anybody. Not if you're just going to get on stage, but if you're just trying to work out whatever your health goal is, you have to be intentional about your workout. And I, w- I always recommend, even to my, my just my regular weight loss client, put it on your calendar mm-hmm. and make it just as important as a business meeting or anything else. I remember I used to block out uh, time. I lost a lot of money blocking that time out because I could have filled it with clients. Yes. But if I wasn't you know, leading by example, and if I didn't get the workout in, I was drained, I had no energy. Yep. Um, so I think in the long run, it was, it was absolutely worth it, but, but scheduling it, and especially if you can make it a regular time of day, I think helps a lot. What are some of the things you found that help your clients to stay consistent, especially with the things they're not super motivated about? Really, when you get, uh, those little wins, those little gains, uh, something that I do every four to six weeks, depending on the client and their current level of fitness is we will do uh, a progress report, a PR. And, uh, you know, we do all their body measurements, we do their body fat percentage, skeletal muscle mass, et cetera. And if we, whatever little win we get, we celebrate it. I celebrate it with them. And the more wins they get, the more encouraged they get, the more motivated they get because they, they're, they're starting to see and feel the change. So the seeing part sometimes is a little slower than the feeling part. But people typically begin to feel better before they start to transform physically and look better. Yeah. You know, you start to get that heart condition. You can go farther. You can go faster. You can go harder. Uh, you get stronger. And the, as, and the stronger you get, you know, the more your heart can do. And, you know, in theory, the better uh, results you'll get. One to two inches every four to six weeks. One to two percent body fat is typically what I shoot for. Do you have a personal transformation story, like a moment where you had a dramatic shift in your life, your philosophy on things or anything like that? Absolutely. When I first joined the Army, guys, again, you know, I mentioned earlier that I'm an ectomorph. Believe it or not, and I I did a post. I don't think I put it on my website. I probably should now just talking about it. But on one of my social media platforms, when I first joined the Army, I was my current height. I weighed a whopping 130 pounds. Oh, wow. Yes. I gave a new meaning to skinny. I mean, I, and you know, when I joined the military, I was fast, but when it came to the more rigorous tasks, like putting a 45, 50 pound pack on my back with all the gear and the Kevlar helmet and the, the weapon and the ammo and all of that, oh, wow, two, three miles into a eight, nine, 10, 12 mile road march, I was done. I just did not have the physical strength and stamina to sustain, particularly if it was over rough terrain. So that for me was disheartening. I kind of felt like the one kid that I told you about earlier that came to me. I was absolutely determined to get stronger, to get bigger. I hated being skinny anyway. And that's really when my my lifting, you know, progressed and picked up is when I joined the military. And that's what really spawned it is when I could not perform some of the more rigorous, challenging tasks. So that's when I really started researching some of the nutrition, you know, weightlifting. Of course, back then there was no internet. There was no Siri or, you know, Google or anything. So all we had is what we could get out of the library. And then, of course, the muscle magazines out the magazine rack. And uh, I just became a vacuum and just absorbed all the knowledge and everything I could get my hands on. 
and uh, changed my diet, got my nutrition dialed in, and uh, really start lifting with the knowledge that I had back then. Of course, now that's you know morphed into something totally different now, just with a better understanding of the body, et cetera. But when I saw my body begin to respond and transform, I was hooked for life. And I grew, I got stronger, my performance increased, uh, so much so to the point that I, I mentioned earlier, you know, I was uh, selected to go to the Master Fitness School to become a Master Fitness Trainer. Yeah. Now, is that transformation part of what made you want to do more training? Is this to help other people to kind of experience that same progress? Or? No, I actually kind of stumbled into that just with my passion for fitness. Again, I was, I was recognized or noticed by the unit sergeant major. And uh, he's the one that actually recommended that I go and receive this training or attend this training to become a master fitness trainer. So when I got there and, uh, you know, really learned essentially what a trainer is about, what your role and responsibility is. And when I came back to the unit and started performing or operating in that role and start seeing the positive impact that I was having on other soldiers, you know, like the one story I told you, you know, there's countless stories like that. Is there is something for me, guys, that's, that's the way the word it, I guess there's intrinsic value in helping others becoming a better version of themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't need a trophy. I don't need, you know, a plaque or anything like that. I just, in seeing that and knowing that I was a part of that, that right there is value or award enough. Now, now that you mentioned that word intrinsic, that's something I think about a lot. And I feel like that's like the magic secret formula to, to real sustainable change is how do we get somebody intrinsically motivated? Do you have any habits and things and processes that you put in place that keep you on the right path and keep you motivated and keep you driving forward? Oh, wow. You know, besides the fact that it's something that for me at this point now, it's just second nature, you know, after spending almost 30 years, you know, in a lifestyle where it's expected of me, you know, to, to remain at a certain physical level. Uh, at this point, it's not something that I have to do, uh, put a lot of thought or effort into. It is truly second nature. It's a way of life for me. I couldn't see living any other way. Now, you know, bodybuilding, that's a totally different thing. You know, that's a whole different mindset, et cetera. But just basic fitness and remaining fit, remaining healthy, no, it's just uh, the things that I learned, you know, in the time that I spent in the military. You know, you wake up early, you get your fitness in, you eat right, you stay hydrated, you stay away from the wrong kind of foods. You do enjoy something. Moderation is the key. You know, you don't overindulge. And, uh, of course, I don't really track my calories much now unless I'm preparing for the stage. And then, you know, pretty much I'm, I'm looking at everything. But other than that, I just maintain a well-rounded diet, you know, exercise every day. I do a six and one, except for when preparing for the stage, pretty much in the seven days. I'll take at least once a quarter, I'll try to take a solid seven days off just to allow my body to heal. You know, because at this stage, you know, you, you know, if you work out at all, I don't care what you're doing, whether it's CrossFit or whatever, you always have those nagging aches and pains and your body just is begging for rest. So I found that that to be very, very helpful for me with my re you know, generation process, you know, for my body, as well as just, you know, motivation and feeling fresh to get back in the gym. Yeah. Do you find that to be tough to actually take seven days off? I actually do. And I tell you, I try to time it when we're going on our family vacation, because if I don't, that's the quickest way to get sofa duty from the wife. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, I can imagine. So I knock out two birds with one stone. I'm like, we're on vacation. I take a week off. I get some points with the missus. It's all good. (laughs) <laughs> you no, know, I tend to try, you know, if I am going to go on vacation, I try and wrap up any kind of training phase I'm in. 
uh, like I'm doing a 12 week program right now. And every four weeks, there's a week of challenge, like three heavy challenges with rest period. And, and so I'm headed to Vegas on Monday. Nice. And so I'll finish that four weeks. I'll get through those three tests and then I can just enjoy that time and then start month two when I get back. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. Do, do you typically follow any specific programs or do you just do what you like? I do what I have learned over the years to be most effective for, for my growth and development. And I'm always focusing on my weak areas. So, you know, my leg day, that's my deficiency. Uh, when I lose a show, I lose it from the back. You know, my, my back is probably my best feature. My hamstrings and my calves from the back are my least developed feature. And after every show, I'll sit down and I'll walk the line with every judge and I get the same thing. So I know what my, my downfall is. I know where I need to work. So a lot of my workout week is structured around bringing up my most efficient body parts. And that's kind of how I tailor not only my the order in which I work my body parts, but the exercises I select as well. You know, so anybody lift weights that are particularly a bodybuilder, you know that there's mass building exercises. And then there's those exercises that I call, for lack of a better term, STDs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They shape, they tone, and define. (laughs) So, yeah. And that's it. Now, have you ever kind of taken any shortcuts, so to say, that you wished you hadn't of thinking that you were getting to to progress faster? Yes, I used to, and this, this was years ago, I was under the mindset that more was better. And so today, I work each body part once a week, and I just destroy it. And it takes those, you know, good five to seven days to fully recover for another thrashing. Uh, the only thing that's different than, that I do is I do work my legs twice a week. But I used to be of the mindset, again, that more was better. So if I could get two minimum, three was better on a body part, I would do that. And wow. it was really very counterproductive because, you know, as you know, as you mentioned it earlier, you are destroying muscle tissue. And if you don't give that muscle tissue time to regenerate, to heal, to grow back, to recover those muscles, then, again, you and I, I was injured a lot as well because of that, because I, I didn't give my body time to recover those muscles. So more was definitely not better. Yeah, I was a big time overtrainer when I was doing the marathon stuff. You know, I do my long runs, I do short runs again, and then I'd go to the gym, I would do classes, I would do strength training, like all on the same day. It was insane. Wow. And I ended up with knee surgery. Really? Yeah, absolutely. That'll do it. Yeah, I thought I was doing something good. More is better. Go, 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 go. But no, absolutely not worth it. Yeah, not so much. So when I, you know, figured that out, man, much healthier and enjoyed working out a lot more because I was injured a lot less. And I actually grew a lot more and a lot quicker as well. So if uh, anybody uh, listening, if you struggle to put on muscle and and maybe you feel like you're just spending all your time at the gym, maybe consider uh, sleep, consider uh, giving yourself a break for recovery, and you may be surprised uh, that the most anabolic thing you could do for your body, which is muscle building, is sleep. Not strength training, not protein. Those help, but sleep is the number one thing. Water is probably second. Absolutely. Uh, and then protein and strength training. Now, do you use any particular techniques to help with recovery, like contrast therapy, sauna? I, it's so funny. Um, 48 years old, and I just got my first... Uh, professional massage this year. Whoa! Yeah. Did it blow your mind, or it, were you like, eh? No, I love, so I signed up for a membership. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not to necessarily give them a plug, but Massage Envy. So once a month, uh, sometimes twice a month, I'll go in, uh, I'll get a deep tissue, full body massage, uh, with the focus points on the areas that are really knotted up, 
and it's worked wonders. Oh yeah. Do so they see yeah. you come in and they're like, I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> get deep tissue. They gotta. We gotta get Olga in here. That's <laughs> it. Send them to Olga, and then this dungeon oh. opens up. <laughs> That's funny. Oh man. Now, what are the top three things? Uh, and this is talking directly to the listeners. What are the top three things you would tell somebody? Uh, to start to get positive change in the right direction for, for a healthier life? I, I get asked that question quite regularly. And I would say the top three is first thing, see your healthcare provider. I mean, that is the first base. Uh, you don't pass go, do not collect $200 until you start there and go find out if there's anything, any pre-existing uh, injuries, existing injuries, et cetera, that will prevent you from engaging in a physical health and fitness program. The second thing I would do is get my nutrition dialed in, whether that's through your personal study, go see a, diet, a dietitian, nutritionist, a personal trainer, fitness professional, whatever. But the nutrition, that is really, if you don't get that right, you if you, if you lose the battle with nutrition, you'll lose the war. And that's the, probably just the best way to sum that up. So that would be number two. You got to get your nutrition dialed in. Find out how many calories you should be taking in a day. A lot of that's going to depend on what your current level of fitness is, what your goals are and how much, what's the timeline and what you want to get from point A to point B. And a healthcare professional or a nutritionist or a fitness professional can kind of help you bridge the gap to, you know, help you plan not only nutrition, but your workout regimen as well to get you from point A to point B. This, the last thing for number three, get started. You know, I talk to so many people and they're telling me, oh, I don't have time. I can't make it to the gym. You know, I don't want to do a trainer or I do want to do it. Just whatever. Look, just get started. Get your nutrition right and start walking or jogging around your neighborhood. Yeah. You, you, it, it may, you may start with a quarter mile. That's fine. It, or whatever it is, just get going. You may do a, you know, what do you call it, like interval training. Yeah. You, 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 I have uh, had some clients start out. Uh, with their home workouts by running in their community and they would walk from one fire pole or light pole to the next and then jog to the next one. And they would just continue that until they ended up with a half a mile and then they'd walk home. That's how I started with marathons. I had a program called couch to 5k <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, the very first week it would be, uh, walk two minutes, jog for 30 seconds yep. and repeat. And then it would be walk for a minute, jog for a minute. It would just continue to wean you. Very effective. Um, or I'd watch the street lights. I mean that that's fantastic. Yes. Um, just just do something. Get started. It doesn't, you can you know there's so many things that you can put. And I kind of caution in saying this because some of the stuff you get off YouTube can be like super crazy and dangerous. But there are some some fairly decent programs that you can pull off if you are just absolutely uh, stuck at home and you need something to do. You know, there's apps out that you can download on your phone that will actually, you click a button if you don't know what the exercise looks like, and a little dude or dudette will come up on the phone and show you how to do that, the exercise. So it's just virtually really no excuse. If you could carve out 10 to 15 minutes a day, you can start, you know, your, your health and fitness journey. Uh, before we wrap up here, are there any, you know, plugs for any organizations, your contact information, anything like that, that, that you'd share with our listeners? Absolutely. If you're at the point where you're looking to take uh, the next step in your health and fitness journey, please uh, look me up online or any of my social media platforms. It's uh, frontlinefitness.fit is my uh, website. If you're on Facebook or Instagram, it's uh, frontlinefitness1. And uh, reach out to me. I'd be happy to uh, bring you in. I do a, a free fitness assessment slash consultation. We'll talk about what your goals are, collect some very important data from you, some vitals, your blood pressure, 
get all your body measurements, body fat percentage, skeletal muscle mass, etc. I'll take you through a mini fit test to uh, measure your upper body strength, core strength, lower body strength, as well as your current. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank 28 you. years. That, that's incredible. And thanks for, for coming on and sharing your wealth and knowledge with our listeners. Uh, we, we wish you the best. We'll have to have you on again sometime. When's the next <laughs> time you're training to get ready for the stage? So I, I pushed my training date out uh, kind of far. So November of 2020, uh, the Battle of the Unrivaled, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks uh, for having me, guys. It's been well, great. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media.